0: with a refreshing scent that will leave your home clean and fresh, elevating any room into an oasis. Now you can express your style and get shiny clean, get Clorox and Tiva at a nearby retail store also available in grapefruit or lavender scents. This is the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous Podcast with iHeartRadio.
1: Welcome to an all new episode of the Almost Famous Podcast. First off, Big thanks to our friends at Best Egg for sponsoring this special financial episode. One of the biggest financial pain points I see people facing today is the high interest debt. It's a trap that makes it nearly impossible to escape. Most of us have experienced some sort of debt. Uh, If it's loans, uh, a car payment, uh, sometimes it's even a house payment that's kind of haunting us and sitting over us. I have a buddy. Uh, one of my best friends in the world who has been struggling with debt ever since college. And uh, it was credit card debt. It was compounding on itself every month. He could not get in front of it. Uh, He couldn't sleep. He was anxious. Uh, I was anxious for him. We kind of rode that road together. Debt is a really, really unfortunate thing that happens in life, sometimes due to our own choices, a lot of times just due to what life brings about. Inflation right now is making debt even worse. Uh, And as I said before, it can cause physical issues like loss of sleep, uh, stress. Uh, You can always be thinking about how you're going to make your next payments. Uh, It's impossible to save also while you are paying off this debt. And then it compounds over and over, month over month. Uh, and it kind of sits like a cloud over the top of you. When you're dealing with high-interest debt, it's important to turn the bus around quickly. Consolidating high-interest debt into one payment is the smart way to get it under control. The guys I think do it better than anyone else is our friends at Best Egg. This is what Best Egg can offer you if you're somebody sitting out there with debt right now. Best Egg, working with Best Egg, the goal is to end up with one monthly payment that's way lower than all the other bills combined. So you kind of wrap it all together. It's super easy to get onto Best Egg. It's an online app. You can just do it in a couple of minutes. Loans are funded fast. So you're not waiting weeks upon weeks to see if you've got accepted for this loan. Sometimes it's like even a one-day approval. So you wrap all this up, you get a lower interest rate, which makes it easier to pay off. You can pay it off in one monthly payment. So you're not trying to find all the places... Uh, that you owe money to, you can just do it all at once. And with Best Eggs Financial Health Tools, you can monitor your credit score and use the credit simulator tools to help make informed decisions. For example, what would happen if I took out an auto loan payment? It's a good question. A question a lot of us have to ask. These are super helpful tools, but until you pay down your debt, your bills, and obligations with crazy high interest rates, it's hard to accomplish your money goals. I tell everyone. Don't wait to fix the problems. The longer you wait, the harder it is to fix. That's why I'm a big fan of Best Egg. Huge fan of paying all that debt down, that high interest stuff off with a great personal loan like Best Egg offers. You can accomplish your money goals when you stay on track and Best Egg Financial Health helps you do that. I'm a Best Egg fan. Check them out and I'd love you to share your Best Egg success stories with me. To learn more and read their terms and conditions, visit bestegg.com almostfamous almost famous. Now, let me introduce my friend, somebody that knows a ton about finance and life in general, Jason
2: Tardik. So good to be here, Ben. And it's good to be back. It's good to see you, man.
1: Now, this is a very special episode. Thank you to Best Egg. Uh, We've asked you to join us today, Jason, uh, to talk a lot about personal finance, but also uh, based on your experience and the interviews you've done, uh, kind of some of the uh, financial situations and how people make money from the show. Are you cool with that?
2: I love it, Ben. One thing when you and I always get together, we end up talking about money or business. So this is just going to be a nice little rerun. I'm excited. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, hey Jason.
1: For anybody out there wondering, maybe they didn't listen to uh, the almost famous episode that you co-hosted with me. uh, Why? uh, Why did we here feel like you were the perfect guest for this specific episode? What's your background? Uh, What projects have you done that have kind of set you up? Uh, For this uh, just run through the list if you don't mind
2: For sure. Yeah. I think one of the big things, if you're talking finance or careers and you're bringing any form of education to uh, the public, you better have some type of credibility. So a little bit about me, I have my undergrad in business administration. I got my MBA at like, it's like a top 50 school, Simon business school in finance and uh, accounting. And then I was a banker for 10 years. So I worked with CFOs of companies that earned over hundred million dollars and I I lent money to them. And since then I've been able to build a, a restart consulting platform where we do education for individuals on personal finance, career management, have a podcast, Trading Secrets, which is top in business and careers. Uh, I have a book called The Restart Roadmap, Rewire and Reset Your Career. And I also do um, lending for real estate projects. And I do small business uh, startup investing to kind of like the seed stage and venture side. So from early business to exits, to lending, uh, to having and running my own businesses, which is about five at this point, um, I've kind of seen the light cycle and been part of it and that's what's kind of led me to doing what i'm doing now
1: you know it's uh i've shared this story uh, on air before but we get a lot of people and this is uh in a younger more judgmental more cynical season of my life um i'd like to think i've done some work on myself uh (laughs) but uh i met you for the first time in a gym i forget exactly where we were But you were working out, and I stepped into a workout. You were pumping weight, and I was stretching, I think. And uh, you had just gotten off of the bachelorette season. And I remember just like, you know, I saw your job title on the show. And I had heard you speak about it on the show a little bit. But a lot of people here blow smoke, you know, when they're on national television about what they do for a living. So I just started Mm -hmm. asking you some questions. And right away, I realized you're legit. Like, you know what you're talking about. Um, and it, it really is uh, fun for me for a couple of reasons. One, I enjoy re- listening um, and reading your stuff. Like, I enjoy learning from you. Um, but then it's also just cool to see you use this platform and turn it into something that, yes, has a picture of what you are doing before, but really now reaches a whole new audience.
2: Mm-hmm. It's been that it's been a ton of fun. It's interesting that you said that, though. The whole idea of like, all right, is this a, a smoke blower? Or does yeah. the, like yeah. he or she actually know what they're talking about? And it's something I battle with. I battle with like on a day to day basis. So this platform gives me a lot of access, but the access does not mean credibility because you have a you're from The Bachelor, mm-hmm. and so I'll be like, I just had Jason Oppenheim from Selling Sunset on the podcast. Literally, like, he, I don't think he knew. it. Like, his press probably. Were, team probably prepped them. Like, yeah, this guy from the bachelor's got this business podcast. So he gets on and I haven't even told this yet, but he goes, how much, this is how he starts the conversation. How much time you got? How much time is this going to be? I said, an hour to 45 minutes is what we have booked. I can't do that. I have 10 minutes. said, well, I can't do an interview in 10 minutes. If we're going to have a credible discussion regarding residential real estate and the outlook and everything it's done for your career in selling sunset. And he's like, give me a minute. Hits mute, Calls someone, comes back, all right, I got 20 minutes. We ended up talking for like 35, 40 yeah, minutes. Yeah, there you go. And then, but early, like in a conversation like that, or with like mm-hmm. a Jim Cramer, or with some of these, you know, Damon John, like, instantly building credibility with understanding the industry and, in, in what you're saying and how you're saying it is so important, especially when you got the bachelor title or like the bachelor yeah. franchise stigma next to your name. It works for the good. It also works for the bad.
1: Yeah. You're on an uphill battle. Jim Cramer's on my TV right here uh, by my uh, computer, by the way, right <laughs> now, breaking down on mad money, everything plunging in the stock market. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, we, uh, <laughs> this is a great uh, segue then. Uh, Jason, you spend a lot of your life now talking about finance, talking about money, talking about how people personally um, can build wealth and what smart ways um, they can operate in life to take the next best step. Why, though, is money such an uncomfortable subject for people to talk about?
2: I mean, I I think we're just like this, what I call is the blueprint, like this blueprint that we live in conditions us to believe certain things and and abide by them. And what I have found with this blueprint is it doesn't necessarily work. Like if you look at everything happening today, whether it's in the market or it is just like, Uh, emotional happiness, you look at like so many levels of what could be success, like United States total debt for uh, per household, uh, income growth, the amount of people that actually negotiate for themselves in the career, like all these statistics that you would think drive success uh, aren't showcasing that. And so I think one of the things that we abide by in this blueprint system is don't talk about money. It's politically incorrect, it's impolite, uh, it's unethical. And I remember like when I started my career, I've always just been curious about money my whole life. When I was a kid, I was always curious. And so I would talk to people like, so like, what'd you get paid for that? And we'd be like, don't tell anyone, like sign in blood, don't tell anyone. And like, why, why? and if we did, we could get written up. And so I think we've been conditioned to do so, but my whole theory on the, Total topic is the more we talk about it, the more information we get, and the more information we get, we can leverage to help navigate uh, our careers and our financial independence. And so I think talk about money, share what you make, your wins and your losses. And that's something I stick by and try and like really, really press down on anyone I talk to.
1: You know, it's interesting. I talk about my. Personally, I feel like I'm more comfortable talking about my losses than I am my successes. I remember in Memphis when we were together, I was going through a really hard season with one of the companies that I operate and I was talking to you about it. Hey, I need some insight. Like, this is what's going on. This is where we're struggling. Um, is that common? Like, are people more, I don't know if anybody in the world other than maybe my wife, and I don't even know if she would know um, fully, like how much I make doing anything in my in my career uh (laughs) why is it that we're so like why is it that we're so held off or like is it rude to tell somebody uh is it rude to ask somebody like what's going on here
2: well, first of all, I, I commend you for talking about your losses and you're right. I mean, you opened up that ex- you're vulnerable. Vulnerability in that moment creates connection and like wanting to help and talk. No one does that. And if you're talking or listening or or being inspired by someone who only talks about their wins, like look further and look for someone else because single every win you see out there, there's a tons of losses that match, especially like these day traders and stuff. When you get the guys and girls that are only showing their wins and losses run uh, to your point, though. Shame on you because we had a podcast, me, you, and Jessica, and you guys said you're going to go to the Go back to the chalkboard and talk about what you make and how you make it. I think we don't because I think we believe that our entire worth as an individual is based on what our financial situation is. You could be the nicest human, you could give back, you could be just a pure soul, but your worth is instantly downgraded if you're not at a higher earnings level is the perception that I think society has. And that is the That's got to end like the people that are leveraging the fact that they make more money. So they are more powerful or in a relationship that they are the earner. Therefore, the value their partner brings to the table uh, is insignificant. That's the bullshit that creates the divide. And the divide is what keeps us uh, just so deterred from actually accomplishing the things in life that we want to accomplish in a healthy space to do so.
1: So then is it rude, Jason, for me to, in the right relationship? Ask somebody how much money they make.
2: I personally don't think it is, but I think like everything, there has to be a healthy context, right? I think there are a lot of unhealthy reasons that someone may say, how much do you make? That I don't approve of, but providing healthy context to say, hey, I am trying to be on the same page as you so that you and I are on the same team and we're creating a life that makes sense within our means and that we can pass on to our family and live healthy in a transparent manner. Can we sit down and talk about finances. Can we talk about where we stand with one another and how we can both contribute not only financially, but in other ways to like make the healthiest team. So I think the problem is so many people do it the wrong way. And we see it on social media all the time. The flexes with like, you know, you see some of these guys, the flexes or girls with the Lamborghinis or with the big cars, or, you know, look what I just got. Like, it's such a braggadocious thing to probably make up for material, material insecurity. And that is not what I'm talking about.
1: You know, I I feel like there is a, um, especially within like the middle class, um, there's a lack of access and a lack of a platform for people to, we we can name a couple, um, places and organizations that are really trying to help coach, uh, personal finance in those realms. But if somebody's out there listening, we have a, a very young demographic of listeners, um, And they're just getting started here. Uh, They don't have a lot of coaching personally. What kind of advice do you like to give somebody right away?
2: Right away is number one, rule number one, do not have rolling credit card debt, period. Find a way to pay that off in full and put a budget in place so that you are managing it, your spend, so you don't have rolling credit card debt. If you do, you will be buried. Mm. You are absolutely killing yourself. If you have rolling credit card debt, that's that's number one. The second thing I'm going to say right now, 8.6% inflation. Fuel oil is up over 100% year over year. Groceries are up 12%. Energy is up 35%. If you are not budgeting what you are spending, you are going to be in deep. You have to know what you're spending money on because the cost of everything has increased significantly. If you didn't do it a year ago, you could be okay. You don't do it now. You can be in some serious trouble. You got to do it. And I'm big on like Ben, not getting rid of everything, pick and choose and prioritize what puts a smile on your face and what makes you happy. And the things that aren't the must haves, the things that can go, really rethink that and get them, get them out. The last thing I would say is debt management. Like I talked about credit card debt, but everyone's so focused on like, how do I get rich quick? How do I do this, this, and that? You really have to focus on all your debt, understand the interest you're paying and how you're managing your debt. Because especially early on, that's what buries people from actually creating long-term wealth. It's
1: uh, it's interesting. So we you know you mentioned a few things that, you know, I don't think everybody listening to this wants to hear about um, the issues in uh, the economy, or the markets right now. Uh, I don't think everybody has that kind of uh, intrigue, but what everybody is dealing with is inflation um, and gas prices going up without necessarily, uh, uh, well, with with no wage increase, at least nothing valuable enough to the middle and lower class right now to help compensate for these increases. Is this just going to continue? Like if you had a crystal ball, Jason, Are we just going to continue to see these prices go up and up and up and gas kind of stay around the $5 price forever? Or are we budgeting and saving now so that in the future we'll get back to what we're more comfortable spending on these things?
2: Yeah, one of the big issues going on right now, Ben, is the fact that this like we have this crystal ball in all areas of life. Like we always want to use history to predict the future, like in anything, like even in, like, if you're listening right now, like think about a relationship, like you want to look at your last relationship to try and avoid what didn't work. But the problem is with the market, it's like we're dealing with the craziest x we've ever dealt with like things are moving in such different ways than we're forecasting and we don't know what to do and we're in this position where it's almost like damned if you do damned if you don't and so we just got the inflation report out and for anyone that doesn't know it comes out monthly and so just like trying to forecast it, we really expected it to be lower. And it came out at all-time highs. We haven't seen inflation this high, to put it in perspective, in 40 years plus, year over year. So people are panicking. And with panic becomes sell-offs. And you'll hear the term bear market a lot. And that means the market's down over 20% in a period of time. So that's what it means, because you're gonna hear it a lot. But the thing that you should know is that um, interest rates are gonna go up. They have to, and the reason they're going to because it's going to combat inflation. So if you have debt right now, really think about maybe refinancing. Because we know they're going up. So that's a big thing. Uh, and the other thing is like just think more about where you're spending your money and how you're spending it because of the price of fuel and the way it's going up now. I don't want to get too technical, but the government is doing some small things to help from a tax strategy, what you can write off for your gas because it's become so outrageously expensive. So know that some things are being put in place, but like really, really think about where you're spending your money. And a big one, I would assume that most people on this pod or listening to this podcast can relate to is rent. So if you're listening to this, like I'll ask you a question, do you rent? And so hopefully or not hopefully, but I would assume some of you guys are saying yes. A big ratio that you got to know is if you're renting, you have to know what the price to rent ratio is in your market. And you can Google it. Just Google, what is my price to rent ratio? So, for example, in Detroit, price to rent ratio is about five. Okay, Jason, what is the ratio? What does that mean? Five. That means in five years, if you're paying rent, in five years, you could actually own a property. So it doesn't make sense in this world where costs are so expensive to be renting if you can afford to buy. Because in five years, you would own it. Now let's go to Manhattan. Your price to rent ratio is like 55 It would take you 55 years given rent to have ownership of a place. So there it might be more advantageous to rent. So when you're thinking about costs, one cost I think that most people listening would think about is their rent. Really think about price to rent ratio because it could definitely change what you're doing and and how you're building an asset.
1: How can somebody out there right now find the info needed to have these tax savings when it comes to gas or when it comes to maybe, you know, it's not, uh, it, it won't be shocking if the government starts to do some things to subsidize some of the price of groceries. Uh, where can people find that material to know if they can benefit from it or not?
2: shameless plug. Uh, so Trading Secrets podcast, we talk a lot about it. And then we also have an Instagram account, Trading Secrets, where we try and get this stuff up and out as soon as we can. But of course, there's other forums where you can get it quicker. You'll just have to do a little digging. Like if you go to irs.gov, you can see all the things that they are uh, putting out, and, but it's, it's a little too technical for most people, but you can go to it. The easiest place I'm going to give you, like the Wikipedia of fi- uh, finance, is called Investopedia. So if you're Ever anyone out there? If you are listening and you get confused by something and you're embarrassed to ask or you don't know mm. what to do, literally just go to Investopedia, put in the word, the term, or the question, and their resources are bar none some of the best out there. And they break it down in a way that just it makes sense. It's not so textbook and and confusing. So that's Investopedia is a place I go. Investopedia
1: is on my favorites tab, by the way, on my uh, browser because. I need help understanding a lot of these acronyms and a lot of the things that are being done, and I just need to break it down. Or YouTube is actually a good place, too, to be like, what is XYZ? And typically, yes. there's good videos explaining it. Um, all right, Jason, let's take a break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to kind of sandwich this podcast. We're going to talk uh, like a lot about what we just talked about uh kind of current events what's going on we're going to talk about in a second what happens in the bachelor world how do people make money do they make money is this all a scam and then we'll end it with a few more personal questions and we'll get you out of here um but let's take a break get a glass of water and we'll be back with jason Tardick.
0: what keeps baby skin healthy for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand.
1: All right, Jason, uh, as I said, we're going to sandwich this episode with personal finance and then also with some bachelor talk. Uh, Jason, it's, uh, we talked earlier about kind of the taboo subjects around how much money do you make. Um, I feel that way in the bachelor world, right? It started when I became the bachelor. I had no clue how much money I should ask for to be the bachelor. Um, but you have this company negotiating with you, this massive (laughs) company for the first time ever. And I'm like, I'll just take anything. Just give me the opportunity, I guess. Um, nobody wanted to talk to me about how much money they made until post, uh, filming. And then I kind of found out are people, let's just start with a very general question. Um, are people making money coming on this show? Like, is it, is this a career like path for them?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly can be right. And I think the reason people would say then why, and it's because after the show, we now live in this world where, um, on social media, your individual page, you're, you're literally a human billboard, right? And so you're, Gaining the demographic from the show that is ideal to marketing agencies and brands that are anything that are consumer to direct cons- uh, business to direct consumer, right? So think about consumer brands, like all the things, right? Like I'm drinking bubbly, sparkling water, uh, my iPhone that's right here, my oral B toothbrush, my Bud Light that I drink, or ranch water, whatever it may be. Uh, these are all direct to consumer brands. And you're now stepping into a space where you have access access to the target market of direct to consumer brands. And they're very engaged in what you're doing. And it's just, if you think I was at CMAs recently, and I'm looking at the stadium, Ben, and I'm thinking about there's about 70,000 people in the stadium and my eyes just catching all the billboards and things that are out there. And this 70,000 people I'm looking, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so many people Then I could go to one of Ben Higgins videos on one of his reels or something on Instagram. And there's a million humans, one million humans checking this stuff out plus. And so it creates uh, an opportunity to monetize at a level that people just really don't anticipate. So if we can throw some numbers around, uh, just
1: based on what you've learned, uh, it's going to be a two-part question, if you don't okay. mind. Uh, the, the main question is how much money are typically pe- people making uh, from these ads and post-show and then also the second part of this is, are, have people made money, uh, like some of the earlier seasons made more money or are, are people making more money now? Um, do you have any of this information?
2: Well, the information I do have is that like, if you look at the market cap and the market size of influencer marketing, it's grown by the billions year over year. I mean, it's it's exponentially grown so that it is absolutely at the highest level it's ever been right now. What's interesting is... is COVID actually propelled the market because while no one was driving anymore, listening to the radio, listening to podcasts as much, uh, walking or going past the billboard, the marketing groups that weren't like leaders to this space had no option but to deploy capital towards our phones. And so now the market is bigger than it's ever been. So I think what you're seeing is a whole lot more volume now, a whole lot more volume and larger dollars with larger opportunities, but with more volume and opportunities Opportunities comes more competition. And as a result of competition, I think what you're seeing is probably maybe a little bit less opportunity uh, for those who haven't like built the audiences that are appealing to the brands. And if you look at what's appealing to a brand, it's the following count. It's the brand of the individual. It's the engagement of their audience. It's the community they've built. It's the quality of content they've put out, the consistency and cadence of what they're putting out all those things that really factor in price points and rates.
1: And so people always wonder if you could throw out like a range of what an individual could make. Let's say somebody that's a a very successful contestant from the show. We're going to go through three categories, contestants villains from the show that have a large following and then leads uh, maybe with um, uh, most leads, I think maybe except
2: as of recent have more than 500,000 followers. Oh, yeah. All right, right. We'll right. do a little baseline yeah. here. So some of my info, like, I mean, here's obviously speculation, right? Yeah. But I'm going to do a little speculation. Uh, I think uh, in general, females in this space that are from the Bachelor franchise will do better than a male. If you take the same following, same engagement, your f- your female will monetize. Better why because it's it's more relatable to the audience which is pretty much I would say there's probably not anyone in the ba- I would be willing to bet this that there's no one that's come off the Bachelor franchise with at least ten thousand followers that doesn't have a, a, at least I'm gonna say eighty five percent demographic of females eighteen to forty four mm. that's my speculation as a result of that it creates a lot more relatability uh, higher engagement easier to sell, right? Like if, so that is a big, that's a big thing to note. If you're taking a a female lead in in today's world with the opportunity that's out there, um, you know, assuming that the show runs the way it's running, you know, within a year or two, there, they should absolutely be monetizing at the seven figure level, I would think. So after about two years, I would think they have grossed, for sure, two years post-show as a lead female, uh, at least in the seven-figure space, if they are hungry to do just that. And that is why everyone leaves their job, Mm. right? People are wanting to know, we've talked about in the last episode, yes, there's different motivations, but when there's that kind of money being thrown at you, it's tough not to take a detour uh, into that space. So I think that, I think a villain, something to note. Talk to a lot of CEOs of like big, big agencies. One thing that's interesting in the space of influencing, if you are a G rated influencer, your total gross income will be so much higher mm. than an R rated influencer. So, why do we look at Forbes lists and people are like, we don't, but Forbes lists and like look at the fact that like babies and kids are some of the highest paid influencers out there? It's because they're G rated content. And so the big brands with the big dollars that could put massive spend behind it have no liability with a G-rated influencer. Mm-hmm. So an R-rated influencer, the people that might be selling, you know, dildos or things of that nature, uh, they are going to, they can still make a lot of money doing it. And there's nothing wrong with selling a dildo. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that space. Um, but they're going to make less on an actual rate perspective than someone who is in the G rated space. Mm. So can you be a villain and have kind of like a negative connotation and sell into that PG 13 R rated brand for sure. But you're going to make a lot less based on what the executives of this space see, than someone that's in that G PG level, if that makes sense.
1: Is there actually a rating system? Like do brands have like Ben Higgins r rated Jason Tardick. G-rated, like do they rank them or is this just you know you using words to kind of describe how brands see you?
2: So the second episode of trading, I'm, I'm saying this because it's so yeah. true. The second episode ever of Trading Secrets, I got the CEO of an influencer agency. He he said it was like the biggest in, in, agency in the world. I didn't really fact check it, but I asked him literally been the same exact question. And he said that the big brands have algorithms and, and they have, um, they have software that you can put in a profile and it will spit out what their rating is. So he was telling me like, what? Cause I swear a little bit, like, I swear a decent amount. I just I, you know, and especially the podcast, it's just uh, how I'm talking. He's like, that can be picked up in your content and your content can be picked up in your rating, which is wild. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Is wild. So, you are good with that PGG rated ver. I think I would, i give yeah. Ben Higgins a PG. You're boring, soft. <laughs> yeah,
1: me yeah. too, brother. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's it.
1: Yeah. goes to bed at nine 30. That
2: guy, <laughs> he's got
1: something wrong with him. We just don't know what it is. Yeah, I get it. Uh, now I do. Um, I hear it all. Hey, uh, I feel like I'm listening to troll. Comments. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Jason, final question for you about the bachelor world. Um, how, Again, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier that there's a lot more competition out there. We don't see the follower count as high as it once was from the franchise. Mm-hmm. That's just truth, you know, for whatever reasons, lack of viewership, lack of engagement, more people to follow. Who knows? We could blame all those things. Maybe, maybe it's a mixture of all three um, people coming off the show today. Contestants. Let's not go with leads. That's a whole different beast. Uh, is, is coming off the show and being an influencer, still a viable income stream? Do you think that they can make this work? And then if so, how many years can you stay an influencer before that income stream goes, gets so low? Cause I'm imagining there's a, like a depreciating asset there where you're really relevant. And if you don't continue to stay relevant, you're not as needed for these brands How long can these people still make it?
2: I think you can make it so like... I have seen, so I have 50 I have 50% investment into a talent agency. So I do get some exposure to this stuff. And I have seen food influencers, lifestyle inter, uh, influencers, unscripted television influencers, comedians, I mean, all the different genres. And the, the biggest concern out there is longevity, how long will it last? But if you are creating, you know, through like, you know, your individuality and your authenticity, you're, com- you're creating that community, you're creating that brand and you're putting good content out there, the deals won't stop. The deals will not stop. Even if your, you know, relevancy, especially with the batcher off the show, your followers may decrease. If you're still building that community with you, those deals and those opportunities won't won't go away, because there's more of them out there than anywhere. The big question then becomes, and this is more like on talent management side, is like, do you have the right people that are advocating for you? Now, what's interesting with the show is you see a lot of the competitive shows, people are coming off with like massive followings. And I was just doing a little consulting with uh, some dancers on Dancing with the Stars. It'll be really interesting, because this will be one of the first shows that is taking a live network Mm -hmm. national station to streaming. So it will be fascinating to see like what happens with the following there. And with the Bachelor franchise, I think one of the issues just in general with these big followings is like your total volume of viewership is decreasing a little bit, right? Like I think it depends, like the Bachelor always does well, Bachelorette does a little worse, Paradise can go. But if that number of network viewers decreases, it will be interesting to see how they spin into live shows on streaming and if that will then give a huge bump up. But you could have 15,000 followers and you could create a life-changing business if those 15,000 followers are engaged. Not for today, not for tomorrow, but literally for a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I
1: would say even at Generous, my coffee company, if we had 15,000 subscribers that were subscribing to our coffee, let's say 1,500 subscribers. Sure. that were, that's That is a a good business like that are buying our coffee monthly and we know it, we can predict it. We can plan for the future around that. Um, so no, that's a great point. Hey, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we have just a few more questions for Jason uh, relating with him personally. And then I'm going to end uh, with a very dramatic question. Um, <sighs> I'm not going to tease it, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to put him on the spot. We'll be back with the almost famous podcast. <laughs> right. Again, thank you to best egg, uh, for helping us put on this podcast. It's been awesome to talk to Jason. Jason, just a few more questions for you here. Um, really this one goes back to the beginning, but have you always been good with your money? If somebody's out there listening and they've heard everything that you've said today, and they've heard about the influencer marketing, and they've heard about the idea that if they have even 1500 followers on Instagram, uh, you know, there is a level to where it is valuable to have some followers on social media. Um, And, uh, and they're listening to this and they're going, Hey, I think I can do something with all of this. And thanks to Jason for kind of pointing that out. Uh, Has this always come natural to you or had you, did you have to learn along the way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important for your audience to know, Ben, for the, for starters, you could have 500 followers. You could have a hundred followers. It takes literally one year and one relationship that could change mm-hmm. everything. And these days on TikTok, I mean, it's crazy what people, what's happening to people overnight. I mean, since the pandemic, the people that I've talked to their lives, their lives are night and day. Like there's never been more of an opportune time. If you have an opinion or a thought or an expertise to get it out there, because you don't need a TV show anymore. You don't need a Platform to give you the launch. These platforms exist, and so get it out there. Take a shot at it. You never know. One little quick thing: the points guy had him on the podcast two years. The guy was working in HR at a bank, seventy five k. Started writing about how people could utilize their credit card points. That's it, because he loved it. He just had a passion about it. Created the blog. Two years later, sold it for eight figures. He had no jump start. He had no show. Eight figures. Twelve years later, he still runs the business. He's exited twice life-changing from credit card freaking points. Okay, now I'm gonna get back to your question about being like on the money side. my grandfather was an oral surgeon. And so he, at a very young age, brought me in and told me that he had an advisor and an advisor, and this does not go for every advisor out there, but his advisor always told him when to buy, never told him when to sell. And he started to question him a little bit and noticed that he was a little um, sketchy in his ways. And so he took a massive hit with fees, but exited every single dollar from that advisor. And he managed all of his money himself and he taught himself how to do it. And so he sat me down at, I think I was 16 at the time and went through every single dollar that he had and where it was and where, and how the family's money, all these things. So it became very comfortable to me to like talk about these things. And so as an early age on, I've, I've always kind of taken the the mindset that like, you need to be smart with your money because it can create independence and opportunity, uh, unlike anything else.
1: We're going to popcorn question around here. None of them are going to really, really relate with each other. Um, But they're just questions I want to get to with you before we closed out here Um, for somebody listening right now working in a career um, they love, but they feel like they need to be compensated more. What tips do you give somebody
2: uh, to negotiate their salaries? Yeah. Easiest thing to do. There's a whole chapter about this in the book, but only 37% of people their entire lives negotiate for themselves, which is scary in itself. But the biggest thing you got to do is you got to find out what your value is. So if I say to you right now, what should you be paid? And you don't know the answer. You better go get the answer. How I did it was I took all my uh, analytics for what I was doing in my job, put it on a resume, went out to headhunters that were looking for bankers. And I just said, go find me an offer. They found me an offer from a competitor Uh, they told me exactly how much it was going to be. I think it was like, I think at the time the offer was, if I remember correct, it was like 140 grand with bonus potential up to like, I think it was like 40% of the base. And so I took it into my, it took this, by the way, guys, it took me 10 minutes, literally a 10 minute conversation, here's this, give me a verbal offer. I go into my boss's uh, office and I said to him in a very like non-threatening way, like I don't want to leave, but I have to do my due diligence here You could see yourself. I'm not making it up. This is the email. This is the offer I was given. I'm not even asking you to match it. I'm just asking you to say, does it make sense for him to be compensated more? How bad do we want him? Can you do anything? And you don't need to make a decision now. 48 hours, he came back and he gave me, I think he ended up bumping my pay. It was like to 115 or something. So no, he didn't match the 130 or 140 of whatever it was. But it was like around a 20, $25,000 pay increase. And that was a lot of, that was a huge change for me. That took 12 minutes. Go find out what other people would pay you in competitive industries or competitive companies and use that information to negotiate for yourself. And if my boss comes back and says to me, no raise, you got nothing. I just got about five years of information in a 10 minute conversation. So, why am I going to stay here another two years, busting my chops, exceeding every expectation to know that I'm never going to get the raise that I need anyway? I got to hit the door. So, go find out what your value is. That's
1: a great point. And to highlight something you said, is in that non threatening way, right? You don't want to be walking in there, say this, and they say you're out. No, there's, I mean, I think most people in leadership at companies welcome this conversation. I know I do with my employees when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I think I need to be compensated more. Well, great. Let's open up the door to have this question or this, this conversation. Let's talk about why you feel this way, what you're doing that feels that that makes you feel like you're far exceeding what you're getting paid for. And let's see if we can work, work something out here. I welcome those conversations because here's the other point. Something very interesting I think that I've learned is typically your boss cares about you. Hopefully you have a good boss that cares about you. But they're not thinking about you 100 percent of the time, and they're, and if they are thinking about you, it's oftentimes about productivity and what needs to be done for the company, not exactly if you're being compensated fairly until the end of the year, where that's a conversation that everybody's having on bonuses, end of the year, you know, salary increases, those type of things. But throughout the year, it's I welcome somebody coming and saying, "Hey, I need more."
2: Totally. Totally. And I think you could get more, like to your point, if you have a good boss, your boss is going to do what's like, or at least have some type of insight that's going to behoove like your personal interest. I just had an employee come to me, she got an offer from a, uh, not a competitor, a company in tech. And she's awesome. She was great. 10 out of 10 employee. Our financials just couldn't support that raise she got. I said there, we're not a tech company. We haven't raised money the way they've raised money. I can't pay that. But if you want to go, like you got to go and maybe one day I'll get to the company to the point where we can pay that and I will come knocking on your door. But for your best interest, if this is something you're excited about, you got to go take that. And those are the things I think you should look for, especially to your point, Ben, when you're interviewing, you know, what's just as important as your pay and maybe more important is who is your leader? And is that someone that you aspire to be? Because if it's not, you're in the wrong spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Okay. Final question for you, buddy. Um, again, uh, and here, I'm going to set some parameters here so that it's not awkward for you. This (laughs) not that I would fall into this conversation at all, but I'm just going to make it easy from the beginning. The answer here cannot be me. It cannot be your fiance and it cannot be yourself. okay? Okay. So who do you think from the show, from the bachelor and bachelorette world has been really smart about their career? Uh, who do you look at and go, they've done well with what they've been given?
2: Um, all right. So it can't be me, you, it can't be Caitlin. Those are the parameters. I'm going to go with, um, Jillian Harris is one who's done unbelievable. She's created a phenomenal community, phenomenal brand. Um, I think one thing that Nick Vial has done exceptionally is he found a niche, that the bachelor audience still has extreme interest in at the same level they do the bachelor. And he has plugged and worked his ass off to build a really solid community. He's done great with that. I think uh, another guy who's done great, Travis Stork, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, what he's done in like the doctor space and been hosting like that is phenomenal. Let's talk about more recent people. Uh, I think Tyler Cameron, genius. One show, all the pieces of that puzzle connected at a level that he is one of the most followed people from the show and he could have been going to be the bachelor he could have had those opportunities and he knew that he could take this platform and move into a different direction he has and he is he's branded himself brilliantly like absolutely brilliantly. Another one I'm going to put out there just, just cause it's more recent and more fun. I think she's doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job is Rachel Kirkconnell. She's consistent with her posting. She she's in the lifestyle blogging, vlogging space. Uh, her engagement is super high. She never misses a day. Uh, I've never had that conversation with her, but like from a, a third, like third level looking in, she's building something. I think that's going to be extremely sustainable.
1: That was very impressive. You just named off a lot of people, and a lot <laughs> of people that I go. Yeah. Uh, oh, of course they've, they've done great. Now, if I would have opened up the door for you, I would have to put Caitlin in that category. A hundred percent. Oh, for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think yeah. Caitlin has, um, done an incredible job. Here's the weirdest thing for, tell me if you disagree as we close out here, is a thought I was having as a year coming on, Caitlin kind of disappeared for like two years. I think there's like some behind the scenes there, right? But like, you didn't hear a lot of Caitlyn after her time on The Bachelorette. And then she kind of like rose from the ashes and like this kind of blossomed with her podcast and her following and her wine and her scrunchies and then into hosting and she crushed it in hosting. She like, I don't know what she was doing. We can all assume, but then she like, you kind of came into her life and she blossomed, buddy. I don't know if you can take credit for that, but it kind of feels like, Caitlin is, is living the good life now.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's nice of you to say. I think she helps me with a lot of things. I think I can help her with a lot of things like on the business end, as far as like operations and like fundamentals, but her creativity and her community is unreal. Honestly, though, I think the takeaway from that is like, unless you're in a, in a really comfortable spot with where you are and who you are uh, and knowing yourself better, better than like anybody, it takes that to get to the next level. You know what I mean? And I think for Caitlin is like, I don't know any, like too many people in my life that know themselves better than Caitlin knows herself. And that's willing to move forward in the direction that Caitlin feels best for her, regardless of what, Anybody says how someone puts her down, how someone tells her she's wrong, you know, she just knows herself and what she wants out of life so well. And like, that's a massive takeaway for me. And, and she's just, she's built just something that's unbelievable. And the core of it is from her knowing herself and empowering others to do the same.
1: Yeah. Talk about longevity. I mean, Caitlin, Caitlin Bristow could literally, again, disappear And her brands and the brands that she's built and the community she's built around them would still be there. I mean, what an incredible compliment, like on the business side to what she's done with her and her team. Just super cool to see. Well, that's a good note to end on. Hey, Jason, thanks for spending so much time with us today. Thanks for all your insight, uh, sharing your knowledge. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Again, thanks to Best Egg for having us uh, today. I hope you all gain something from listening. Um, and uh, and if you need any more insight, and I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart, you can pick up the Restart Roadmap or you can get on Trading Secrets, find them on Instagram. They have a great, some great tips, stuff I learn. um... Often from from watching uh, Jason's interviews and the posts that are done. So go check them out right now. Jason Tardic, thank you for joining us today. Ben, thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Almost Famous Podcast. Also, thank you again to Best Egg for sponsoring this very special episode. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll be right back here with the Almost Famous Podcast. But until then, I've been Ben.
0: The Ben and Ashley I, Almost Famous Podcast on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Ashley, is it true that some contestants have cashed in their 401k
0: to afford a new wardrobe for The Bachelor? I mean, you do need a lot of ball gowns when you think about it, Ben. Where did you hear this? On Smart Money Happy Hour.
1: It's a podcast where two money experts, Rachel Cruz and George Camel, talk totally unfiltered about life, pop culture, And how to afford it all with 90s nostalgia and reality TV fandom mixed in, of course.
0: Ooh, you do not have to say more to get me into this. To check it out, you can search Smart Money Happy Hour and listen wherever you get your podcasts.